Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Dominic Ponsford. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Press Gazette. And welcome to the third edition of Press Gazette's new podcast, Future of Media Explained. So every week we take a, a topic that we think media leaders need to know about, and we delve a bit deeper into it by discussing among ourselves our in-house expertise and uh, also through the medium of an interview with Industry Luminary. So today, to help me and you understand NFTs, I'd like to invite as my guest one of Press Gazette's reporters, Bron Mayer. Hello. Hi, Bron. Welcome to our podcast. So Bron covers the US for us and compliance and other things, but he's, uh, for his sins, um, NFTs have uh, fallen um, into his wheelhouse. So Bron, just to kick me off, what, what, what are NFTs? What does it stand for? What, what does it mean? So first thing, it stands for non-fungible tokens, and that doesn't really clarify much, unfortunately. Fungibility is basically, if something is fungible, it can be replaced with some other interchangeable, undifferentiated, I don't know, mush, for lack of a better term. So like money is fungible because, you know, you're just swapping dollars for dollars, pounds for pounds, whatever. Something that wouldn't be fungible would be, for example, fine art. And that's a pretty useful analogy in this case because let's say you've got cryptocurrencies, those would be fungible, like Bitcoin or Ethereum. And in that world, the equivalent of, I suppose, fine art might be NFTs. Those are specific works that don't have an exact written out their dollar value, but are, you know, the, but you can theoretically trade them for a amount of money, but they're not like like for like. So there are a few things in life that I'd I can never seem to understand. Cryptocurrency is one of them. How jumbo jets fly, I don't understand that. Why Mark Wahlberg gets acting work, I don't understand that. But with NFTs, I still don't understand them, Bron. You've got to break it down for me. So I, I understand what the fungible bit means, but then what, what, how do they, what are they and how do they relate to kind of the media? Yeah, so the, the way I generally break it down just to lead NFT people is basically an NFT is a certificate of ownership. But instead of a certificate of ownership, or like a house or something, it's a certificate that you own this piece of code. You've probably heard this notion of the blockchain. Uh, blockchain is basically a public digital ledger. You know, once you start building on this blockchain, like just adding a line to the code, you can never get rid of it again. So it just means that it's this kind of record of transactions that can't ever be altered or changed. And that means if you say on there, 
I have bought something on this blockchain that's recorded there forever. Everyone knows who bought it, who from, and if they sell it again, then that transaction is there too. So it's like, you can't forge or manipulate it, which makes it a very good way to keep track of who owns something. And it means people are buying and selling things that they might not have bought and sold before. Yes. So in this case, it frequently means people are buying and selling artworks or digital artworks or more generally the way it's working right now is digital objects. So that can mean anything from, you know, uh, a digitized painting to uh, a gift or gift and their preference to like skins for a Minecraft character or something. And I think these broadly fall under the definition of web three. Is that right? Yes. So web three is kind of web two as generally envisioned is this idea of the internet as well, quite centralized, you know, everything that's going through Google or Facebook, um, and web three is next envisioned evolution of the web where everything is based around blockchain technologies fundamentally. And the idea at least is that this will allow for a great deal of decentralization because, you know, it's just, it's, everything is out there and recorded information isn't all going through these things. So we're, we're talking about it because publishers are getting involved in this. Just give us a, a quick overview of what publishers are up to when it comes to NFTs. Yeah, this is, you know, so far this has all been very technical and very futurely and very, oh, look at all these things people are doing this stuff on the web. The long and the short of it is, and the reason that we're interested is because some publishers have been making a huge amount of money using NFTs. Now, a lot of people are focusing on NFTs because, well, they buy them and they see them as a store of value. That's actually, from the reporting you've done, not really been the way people have been making money from them, at least how publishers have been making money from them. The big standout here is time, which came to our attention because we were just looking at their results a few months ago. And they reported having made eight figures in the previous nine months from selling NFTs. They said more generally in Web3 stuff, but we'll get to how exactly they've been doing it. But they're one of several publishers Included, you know, New York Times, the Associated Press, Forbes, all who have been trying some of them experimenting, doing some, you know, charity work, and some of them have actually been trying to use into ongoing sidelines that can boost their bottom line. Wow! So Time Inc. are making tens of millions of dollars out of out of NFTs or things in that area. Yeah, they're quite coy about how much exactly they're making. We know <laughs> they wouldn't go into any more details than the eight. <laughs> the figures, but that means, yeah, that's at the very least $10 million, which is an obscene amount. I think uh, of the publishers that we've looked at, I think those account for the, the most money generated so far by publishers. They account for easily something like, oh, I don't know, five and six <laughs> of the dollars that have been made through NFT sales by publishers. Okay. But it's got my attention. It's got my attention. Okay, look, it, it, it's worth finding more out about. And you've spoken to Keith Grassman, who's the president of Time Inc., no less, to find out a bit more about it. So can you introduce the interview to us, Bron? Yep. So I spoke to Keith Grossman, who is, you know, I just mentioned that, uh, that press release or the, the results that Time had. And in those same results, Time mentioned that they were taking their president off his usual presidential duties. And we're deploying them entirely to Web3 stuff. And this is a guy who's very much been carrying the standard for Time's work around Web3 stuff. You know, he's the guy who's there making blockchain, uh, or 
Bitcoin be a thing that you can pay for your subscription with, which is the driving force behind their digitizing three colors as NFTs and then selling those off. And that was their first foray into this world. And now, you know, it's proliferating beyond. It's a huge amount of money to pay for an enormous number of journalists. And I had a chat with him about, well, how this came to be, what he's got planned for the future. And, uh, asked him whether time has been buying its own NFTs, because, you know, it's one thing to, to be selling these, but it's more of a vote of confidence to buy them for yourself. I started my career at Wired. I actually was the intern at Wired, and then I rose up to be the associate publisher of Wired. I spent the first 12 years of my career at Condé Nast, and ultimately, you know, it was at Wired. We digitized the brand. We were the first brand to make over 50% of its revenue from digital revenue back in, I think it was 2009, 2010. In 2010, we launched the tablet edition, the one that Steve Jobs held up on the iPad and said, this is how a magazine should be made for the iPad. And when we were at Ars Technica and at the same time ran both Wired and Ars Technica, we built what was called the Ars Accelerator, which was a predictive algorithm that could look at community engagements and with a high likelihood predictive an article would exceed 100,000 page views. And that helped us grow ours 85% in one year. And, and then ultimately I came over to, I've never gone to a place that's been like, just grow this, right? Grow this 5% to grow this a small amount. It's sort of, how do you rethink the brand or how do you think differently about the brand and coming into time, the reason I joined and I joined it about three and a half years ago was it had just been bought by Mark and Lynn Benioff. It's a private asset of theirs. And I asked them both when I bought it, like, what is it that you want with having this asset? And both of them said to me independently that they didn't like the state of news media. They felt that it was being bifurcated in both directions, the extremes, and they wanted to preserve the objective sort of uh, centrist red border that time has had for the past hundred years, for the next hundred years. And, and that was a mission that I came in on. And I didn't have any grand vision or plans of moving it into the crypto space, to be honest. The great philosopher, Mike Tyson, has this quote that says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think 2020 was the punching in the mouth. And throughout 2020, I saw numerous themes that we could talk about. But I saw numerous themes emerge that led me to all of a sudden have a realization in February of 2021 that we could take time into the Web3 space. At the end of the day, the reason we're in crypto and Web3 is really because if you look at my background, I'm just a dorky guy who likes technology and innovation and business and, and I haven't addressed it, but art and all of this sort of lined up perfectly for me to be able to take my personal passions and history and apply it to my professional responsibility. And so did you see crypto as a way to safeguard the red border centrism that you said that Benioff's kind of wanted to preserve? I didn't see crypto as a way of safeguarding it. I saw a way in which we could use the red border and use crypto to safeguard the uh, red border. The themes that I saw, if it's helpful, were, you know, in 2020, 
everyone was just isolated. I was upstate New York. It was lonely. I didn't see anyone. I was online nonstop. And I started to see and notice that I was valuing my online persona or my online identity just as much as my in real life identity. And then at the same time, I started to see NFTs emerge. And what I saw in them was not at first the communities or anything else. I saw just a token that allowed for ownership of an asset online. And I had this moment where in my mind, it connected that if one values their physical identity as much as they value their digital identity, then by extension, one would value physical assets as much as they would value digital assets. And then when I started to look at some of these communities and listen to people within Clubhouse in particular, I started to realize that the ownership of these assets online were creating new communities that were forming around the assets. And these communities were not based on like-minded or shared demographics or geographics, but rather like-minded and shared psychographics. And it took me a while to figure out how to do that with time because we announced that we were going to enter into one of one NFTs first, which is what we did in March of 2021. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately into accepting cryptocurrencies for digital subscriptions of time, which we did 30 days later. But it took us six months to really understand how to use the technology and build a community around it. So could you tell me a bit about how exactly the NFT sales operation works? I know they're called timepieces. And as I understand it, time basically has a storefront in OpenSea, which for listeners is basically the main website through which people buy NFTs. And at this time storefront, it sells NFT art, which is created by outside artists, but branded with time. Does time get a fixed cut of each of those sales or how does it work? Sure. When I was sitting in Clubhouse for many months, just listening to conversations, I kept on hearing certain themes emerge within, I would say, the Web3 evolution. One of those was that the ability to have a smart contract where you can, where you can track not just the moment of creation, but secondary sales and beyond was changing, I would say, the economic realities for many creatives. Prior to that, what you had was a scenario where creatives only were able to monetize their point of creation, but not their overall impact on society through sales and resales and beyond. A lot of the artists were trying to figure out how to navigate this and were getting help from other artists. And in September, when we decided we were going to launch Timepieces as Time's Web3 community initiative, we had not just our belief in what this technology could do, but also belief in how the relationship should be structured. And the first thing we did was we said, anyone who partners with time on timepieces, the first 1% of primary and secondary sales will go to charity. And to date, we've actually donated over, I want to say $600,000 to what has been organizations that could support free democratic presses, which aligns beautifully with time as an organization. Of the remaining 99% of primary and secondary sales, we split it evenly with the artists. 
right down the middle. So if it's two artists, if it's us and another artist, it's 50-50. And if it's three artists or two other artists and us, it's 33-33-33. And that has been not just for primary, but also for secondary sales. And that term goes forever. It's in perpetuity. Ron, here it's really important because for me then, and for the team, everyone has aligned incentives. And when we talk about the timepiece artists, which grew initially from 38 and is now, I think, closer to 89, right? Like we, we always talk about it as the time family, but we really have to think about how can we as time help promote these artists? How can we help them grow their career? How can we help them think about getting additional exposure? And this afternoon, I'm heading downtown to one of the timepiece artists, Olive Allen's art exhibit at the end of today. And it's because I want to go out of my way in every instance to make sure that we are promoting and supporting and upholding and uplifting the artists that become timepiece artists. The other thing, and I just want to make sure we touch on this because I think it's really important that we do, is every artist that's invited in to be a timepiece artist gets one invite and the invite can be extended to any artist they want. So I got to ask, are you able to sell me how much money we've made from uh, selling NFTs? It's so we've done over $10 million in profit in the year that we've been in the business. And that's mm -hmm. come from an assortment of timepieces as well as one of one sales. And it's not slowing. It is, if anything, we see that the community continues to get stronger. And one of the things that I think is really important is if you look at just the pure numbers in our community of timepieces, which is really just across Twitter and Discord, we have about 40,000 members is what mm -hmm. we've calculated. Since September, not counting the one of ones, we've dropped about 20,000 NFTs. About 12,000 wallets own timepiece NFTs. And when you then take into account that of the 12,000 wallets that own timepiece NFTs, 6,000 of them have connected their digital wallets to time.com to remove the paywall to access mm. the site without ever giving any personal information. You realize like it's not only a really good business from a revenue perspective, it's a really important business from a consumer perspective. A lot of media companies are going to have to start to think about how are we going to actually engage with our customers in a world where we might not have all of the data dependencies that we built our brands around. And so this also creates a new way in which you can have a relationship with the customer. And I think it's something that should not be dismissed. I can imagine the time pieces. I know what they look like, but um, would you be able to describe those and also the one of ones, which I think I do not know what those are. Sure. So the one of ones are the historical covers of time that we put mm -hmm. on. And if you look like the last two that went for sale were the Chagall cover and the Charles Lindbergh first ever person of the year, both went for 99 ETH, which was at the time the equivalent oh, wow. of $419,000 a piece. We had one where people had done a cover back in June and that one sold at the time for a little over $300,000, but then was bought by Starry Night Capital for $2.4 million. The way that timepieces works is exactly as you had mentioned earlier, we have a site called nft.time.com that we mint off of, that we've built the IP around. And when we have a drop, that's the go-to site 
for people to be able to access the drop. The Timepieces Genesis collection is the first signature drop that we did, and Timepieces Slices of Time was the second signature drop that we did. We also named Nyla Hayes, who is the 13-year-old phenom and the creator of the Long Necky Ladies, our first Timepieces artist-in-residence. If you look at uh, Time's origin and founding in 1923, the first Man of the Year was 1927, Charles Lindbergh, and it remained Man of the Year through 1999. And so our editors decided to go back to history and say, well, if we were to look back at who the corresponding women of the year were to be, who would they have been and why went through that entire series and created a thousand unique pieces on all of these women. And then our other artist in residence most recently was Timbaland, the Grammy award-winning producer who gave us an exclusive beat and we gave it to 14 different artists who interpreted that beat differently and created essentially 14 different music videos. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Mardwe screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've mentioned already that time is being run. It's private now in the hands of venues. Are they running it for profit or are any erstwhile profits being uh, channeled back into the business? So time is currently not profitable and we've been very public about that. And our goal is to become profitable. And the time piece is a portion of it. The Web3 portion of it is profitable, but there are elements of the brand that are not profitable. This was a brand that was, and I've said this publicly, neglected for nearly a decade. Mm-hmm. and required significant investments. And we've just been very fortunate to have great owners that have been able to make those investments in our brand. You said that you were not seeing sales slow down. So uh, the Wall Street Journal put out an article earlier this month, which I haven't looked closely at the metrics or how they figured this out exactly. But they were saying that at least across the market, the sale of volumes was uh, you know down from its peak. And then, you know, the latter half of 2021. So our time sales, the time pieces still as high as they were? You're seeing two types of communities really emerge within the NFT space. One is a short-term community approach and one is a long-term community approach. Yeah. And the short-term community approach is very much a greed-based community approach where people are flipping their NFTs at profit and using the community as exit liquidity. And there's no cohesiveness amongst those communities. And when you spend time in the NFT space, you could see which ones are those, right? What you find with these greed-based communities is they come in quick and they disappear quick. And then I think that what you find is on the alternative end of the spectrum, a lot of values-based communities. With the values-based communities, what you're not really thinking about is short-term gain. What our values are, they would tell you that the values of the timepiece community are inclusivity. The values of the timepiece community is optimism. The values of the timepiece community is constructive feedback, right? The values of the timepiece community is give first. And we rally around that. And we have a principle where we believe that values will create value over time. Now, one of the things that we also talk about is that we're not building timepieces or that community for the next 100 minutes or 100 days or 100 weeks or even 100 months. We're talking about building this for the equivalent of the next 100 years. So we have to be very careful in how we think about our community. As there's been more turbulence, right? you still continue to see sales and timepieces and people entering into the community because they know that we have stability and that we're committed to it. And so if you look like every week, every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or 3 p.m. UTC, the leadership team of the timepieces group, right, including myself, stands up in front of the entire community and provides a weekly time hall We tell everyone exactly what we're working on. Today, for instance, we spent a lot of time making sure that people had access to the Deepak Chopra meditation on mental wellness, given the fluctuations of cryptocurrencies. And if you're in the States, we also provided resources for how parents can deal with the shootings that took place this week and other really distressful news events. Every week, we have hundreds of people who attend these weekly time halls in person, right? I think that our 
commitment to the space and our sort of establishment as a big brand and the stability that we provide has allowed us to sort of weather, I would say, ups and downs of the space better than the greed-based communities. I think that's where you really are seeing those drop-offs. I definitely want to keep this conversation on time, but obviously for those uh, listeners who have encountered NFTs or any of the vague like images associated with NFTs, probably the most famous are the Ordape Yacht Club uh, ones, which are, you know, variations of apes, basically. <laughs> um, like cartoon apes, and these are the ones that are like, selling for crazy amounts and then dropping for crazy amounts. Is that one that you would identify as a greed-based community? I think that is one that is maturing out of a greed-based community and is finding itself into a much larger ecosystem. While I can be extraordinarily proud that we did over $10 million in profit in yeah. 12 months in the space, they did uh, $1.1 billion of secondary sales across their entire portfolio last week. This is a company, Ron, this is a company that didn't exist a year ago. It may be one of the most impressive companies to emerge in the space. Does the kind of like financial plan for how to use NFTs, does it focus mostly on building this community? Or do you, for example, does time hold any NFTs as investments itself? We have four strategies that we are going to take as it relates to our Web3 approach. One is to continue to foster the relationship with artists and to make sure that we're uplifting creators with the ecosystem. The second is to continue to build our community and collectors, not just through NFTs, but there will be experiences in the metaverse. And we've already begun to test them out with things like Fortnite. And you'll see different ways in which we will use the token to gate and create access for community members. The third is we have our finger on the pulse of, of a lot of consumer behavior in this space and a lot of how a brand has to evolve in this space. And we take our responsibility very seriously on helping onboard brands into the space. And you'll see that we've spent considerable amount of time building our own IP and tech in-house because a lot of brands are not as familiar with what it takes to run a large global brand like Time into the Web3 space. And then the fourth is an area where we have called blockchain to the big screen, which is we have Time Studios, which has been run by Ian Orifice and Maria Perez-Brown, who runs the children's division and the kids division. And I have struck agreements with communities like the Robotos and Toy Boogers and mm -hmm. the Whittles. And the idea is here are communities that already have ravenous fan bases and communities. And, and what if we were to reverse engineer them into television shows with their creators? As it relates to NFT ownership, we own a cool cat, which is very public. We tweeted that out a while back and that sits in the vault. And we hold timepieces, our own assets in, in the vault, right? And in some instances, we do buy back our own pieces when we feel that they're undervalued in the marketplace. But we don't do that often, and we announce it every single time we've ever done it. Uh, I only have one question left, which is a lot of publishers who might be listening to this are probably unsure about whether they should get in on NFTs in some regard. They might be afraid that ah, the money has been made, time's way out ahead already. What would you tell any publishers who are looking at getting into Web3? I would say if the goal 
of getting into Web3 is to make money, step back and think about what you want your goal to be. What I would suggest to a lot of people is we're at the very earliest stages of this evolution that's taking place. In my mind, it's a 20-year evolution or revolution toward online ownership versus being online renters. It's an evolution and a revolution in the way in which privacy can be controlled by the individual at the personal information level. It's an evolution in the way in which consumers are going to interact with each other and with brands. When I say Web3, what I really mean is four things. Crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the metaverse. I have an eight-year-old daughter. Her name is Ellie. And, you know, she uses platforms like Roblox every day. And if you don't think that's the metaverse, then you're kidding yourself. And so when you look at an entire generation that is being educated and engaging in these metaverses, right? There's not just one, there's many. Mm -hmm. You could start to understand that over time, like the idea of one's virtual existence being just as valuable as one's physical existence is very real. And if you oppose it, let's say you sit there and you oppose NFTs. I would ask you just to ask yourself why. Like NFTs are not a religion. They're not political. Ultimately, they're just a technology that allows you to validate ownership online. And so I wouldn't just recommend that publishers pay attention to this. I would recommend that any industry that lacks transparency pay attention to this. I think that you're going to see loyalty programs and membership programs be disrupted entirely. And I think that you're going to see the banking industry and the financial industry get disrupted through sort of the tools that are presented in DeFi the same way that the media or music industry was disrupted by digital evolution and by the digitization of media. And so I would ask any brand who is considering this moment and saying no to make sure that they're just paying attention to the moment. You don't have to rush in, right? There's no need, but pay attention to what's happening because these are larger trends that are taking place that are huge signals of a tectonic consumer shift. And I do think that the challenge that a lot of brands will have will be, is it worth making this move today? Or is it worth punting it to the next generation of leadership? And I think that the brands that make the move today will be done by leaders who are progressive in their thinking, but also don't have to necessarily preserve the status quo to meet their contractual obligations. And I think that the brands that will disrupt will be done by leaders who generationally understand the digital ecosystem, and then at the same time are incentivized to figure out how to grow their brands. Okay, thanks, Braun and Keith. Very interesting. Uh, well done for pinning him down. You know, what do you think, Braun? Do you think NFTs are something? Our listeners need to be bothered about something they should get involved with, or is it just just another fad? Is it just the next, you know, second life? First off, uh, I was kind of surprised that the I was going in expecting this to be a guy who you know 
had this plan to make ten billion dollars off this. But to hear him tell it himself, it's going. It sounds like a process that'd be quite hard to reproduce. Certainly, there are opportunities for what Keith described as greed-based profit-making off NFTs. Tons of news publishers have all this IP that be translated into tokens and historical moments and front covers and all kinds of you know digital art basically that involves selling this to someone and you're really hoping that <laughs> that it's something that they can actually hold on to and if it's not then you're scamming your your customers but with regards to what he was describing i don't know i think keith might have had the best put it better than i possibly could because he was suggesting this is something just you've got to keep an eye on can every news publisher reproduce this entire community building process so that uh, time is managed? I don't know. And I don't know if any, like, every publisher is going to want to do that. But certainly, if you could do what he's done, a set up almost like this gallery community, then that, that could potentially have some longevity. But no idea. It's definitely one to keep an eye on. Okay. Thanks, Bron. Like so many things in publishing, it's like a poker hand, isn't it? You just have to let it ride for a little bit and see whether you need to uh, choose your moment to pile in with all your chips. You've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Dominic Ponsford, and Bron Mayer. Thank you very much to our producer, May Robson. Please don't forget to log on to pressgazette.co.uk and do sign up for our email newsletters as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and even better, leave us a review saying how good you think it is.